Kingdom Hospital medical staff. Attention, today is your final day to sign up for my Kingdom Hospital book club. We will be reading A Silence in Babylon, and only people who think Priscilla should choose Jean are allowed. Jean Scylla or nothing. This concludes your announcements. Stay tuned for lifelong friendships and coffee. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, concert readers. And today we are covering episode five of Kingdom Hospital, Hook's Kingdom. And we have CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Josh. First, our usual disclaimer, we are recording remotely during COVID-19, so our audio quality is not what it usually is. Last episode, we met Dr. Elmer's mom, who promptly died, and then Lenny also died, but he's pretty useful as a ghost, and Rolf is visited by Pauliette, who has a gruesome job for him. And we open this episode on Josh's favorite character, Odo, paging Dr. Hook to trauma. Otto? Oh. Oh, Odo? You know, I I just got done watching the entire Deep Space Nine series. And his name is Odo. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a, the best excuse for that mistake. All right. We also get our cool guy narrator voice back. And then that's it. For one single line. I was like, oh, cool. They're going to bring back this like cool old man narrator. And no, he's just like, hey, everybody. Welcome back. And then he's gone. <laughs> Do you guys know who that's supposed to be? No. Stephen King. He was the one who was supposed to do all that. Oh, that would have been cool. Uh. All right, we are with Peter, and he's not doing too great because Paul is standing over him, choking him and giggling. So I have a question. Why did Paul, in our last episode, try to get (laughs) Rolf to do his dirty work when he can clearly kill people himself? (laughs) I have the exact same thought, but we do actually get an answer, and it's because Antibus is there to protect him because uh, Mary shows up and yells at Paul and he's like, I don't care. You're a little girl. No, it totally makes it's well, I, I just want to say that first of all, I'm really proud of you CM because I thought with everything that it, with the way discussions usually go with you that I, when you were like, Oh, it opens with somebody choking someone else. I assumed you were going to go another direction. That's all I'm saying. What, what do you mean? The one time you don't go sex stuff. I never go sex stuff. (laughs) That is characteristically untrue. It's that is your interpretation of very innocent (laughs) things that I say and don't realize I said until I'm editing. We finally got the answer to Ben's question from last episode. Why isn't there a fucking guard in the room? This was so frustrating to me. Because, yeah, there's there's a guard outside the door reading. And after Paul gets scared away, Nurse Stumbles comes up trying to go in give Peter something. She mentions that all last, the, the last 24 hours, there was no guard. And the guard says, hey, that was an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the laziest writing. It is such a... The, the writers 
realize, oh, fuck, we, we, we can't have a guard around for all of episode four or else it fucks up our non-plot, but we have to comment on it. it it's lazy. This bit, though, starts my favorite thing in this episode which is the fact that everybody is reading this romance novel. Every character, when you see them with a book, they're reading A Silence in Babylon. And I love that Like she walks up to him and he's like sniffling because the, it's a, a cheesy romance novel and he's super into it. <laughs> the fact that they're reading this obviously fictional book and they did not make it a misery book by Paul Sheldon oh. is shocking to me. Oh, but Ben. Yeah, it, because someone's reading yeah. Misery later on. And like someone else uh, in an earlier episode, I think CM mentioned is reading Bag of Bones. So like Stephen King exists in this universe, but still it's just half of his episodes are just feel like an excuse to shoehorn in King references. And it would just make sense. I took it. I thought it was funny because the first note I made when, as soon as he's talking about this book, I was like, oh, he's reading. Um, basically, he's reading a misery book. And I was prepared to like make that joke and carry it through the entire episode. And then they, mm. it just, it's not even addressed. It just cuts to her and she's ha- and holding misery. I thought that was such like a great visual gag to throw in there if you weren't paying attention and thought she just had the original book. So I I loved it. I thought that was hilarious. I kind of thought this scene was a cool, moody scene, too, because while Officer Anderson and Nurse Carrie are flirting outside of Peter's room while he's fighting for his life and Ralph is looking on with interest, maybe? I I can't interpret the look on his face. It's kind of creepy. (laughs) While Ralph is almost being a character. (laughs) (laughs) the, The lighting of it, Though, and the look on his face, I thought were pretty effective. I was kind of digging the mood that it was setting, especially after we had that episode three musical bit going on and on. (laughs) Also, to Ben's credit about Rolf almost being a character, I do love the fact that Paul is choking him and he's like, do you want me to finish him off? And Rolf's response is like, you do you, buddy. (laughs) Tries to dismiss himself from the situation. I know Rolf is a murderer, but in his defense, if a ghost was asking me if he should kill someone, I would also be like, I'm not going to interfere with ghost. (laughs) So while Nurse Carrie is in the room checking on Peter, she hears him mention something about Mary, and she is very excited to tell Natalie about it when she brings Peter this audio version of the romance novel everyone is reading just a moment later. So the way that this scene then cuts into the next scene, I thought that she snuck into the whatever session this priest was having when he's reading to some of our pals, the homeless hooligans, <laughs> which yeah. I'm sorry, people first language, the hooligans currently experiencing homelessness. Good catch. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you say she, she, you thought she snuck into the meeting? Because she says I'm, you know, I, I recorded this. She made it sound like she recorded it. And so I thought she went to a reading. What? And she recorded it, and then what we were seeing it. What are you talking it. about? <laughs> Did she, the, you, okay, your options here are A, she bought an audiobook, or B, she went to the Christ-only mission church and secretly tape-recorded 14 hours of the priest. She loves her husband. She's willing <laughs> to put in the long hours. <laughs> 
I'm going to side with CM because the editing of this scene, just suddenly we're in this book club. We're not given any idea of where we are or what time it is or who these people are. So fucking who knows? (laughs) It, It could have easily been a time jump to her uh, recording a book club. (laughs) Nothing means anything. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. (laughs) All right, so we are introduced once again to a new character, Frank, Frankie. And we know that when we're introduced to a new character, they're going to die very quickly after we're introduced. But this scene, I thought, was there's a, a lot happening here. So they are at the book club. Natalie is nowhere in sight, so she must have recorded on a different day. (laughs) And the priest is, you know, having a discussion about the parts that they had most recently read. And Frank stands up. And maybe it's because I suck at rhyming, but I was super impressed with his skills. Everybody reacts to him like he's Ah. a crazy moron. But I'd be like, keep going, man. You're good at this. You are the only one. (laughs) I hated this. (laughs) Once again, another shitty trope of the mentally unstable having magic powers. They're they're reading this book and there's this guy, I guess his name is Frankie. I didn't catch I that I, I'm going to be honest guys, I checked out on almost all dialogue this episode. <laughs> I just let this episode wash over me. <laughs> like I get I get the gist of what they're trying to tell to me. It doesn't matter what these people are saying. Uh, They're in this book club and this guy stands up and he starts rambling. And we're supposed to get the idea that he's, you know, schizophrenic or whatever because he's saying nonsense. But it's in fucking rhyming couplets. And he, he he mentions Mary. He, like, is rambling, and half of it's nonsense, but half of it is, like, ooh, ominous Stephen King shit, right? Well, he also says that the doctor killed the boy, and the boy wouldn't wouldn't stay dead. And she... Right. Yeah. And I know what that means, and I'm so excited. Guys, I'm going to blow this whole fucking show wide open in this episode. I'm very excited to get to it. All right. I want to say one more thing about this the 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 rhyming crazy guy is that while he is doing this, I, I was wrong, CM. I apologize. You weren't the only one impressed with his rhyming skills because the one African American gentleman in the group keeps comparing him to Eminem. <laughs> well, I wouldn't with, go that far. With it his hilarious poorly written rhyming couplet you know like eminem does (laughs) all slow and leisurely like eminem (laughs) thanks for agreeing with me again (laughs) i the point is he goes on and on about this until he just starts screaming about there being something in his head and he bashes his head against the wall to make it stop Okay, this brings me to the part of the scene that actually did irritate me. And that was when Father whatever, I don't think we actually get his name, should have cleared the room and gotten help right away, which would have been more useful than the response he is given later, which is, we need to pray. Okay, sure, pray. Also, get some help. 
I mean, yeah. he says call the hospital. When, and well, that was when I realized that they are not in the hospital. I thought it was a group in the hospital. Oh, they me were, too. They're they at, the, at mission, the mission, right? They were at the mission across the street, guys. Well, I figured that out after he said call the hospital. <laughs> oh, you guys. Okay. Dr. Stegman is here, which I guess is normal because he works at the hospital. He's a character in the series. Ah. But I don't have to like it. Anyway, he is as irritated as I am when he passes Dr. Hook in the hall and he gives him the gesture. It's the kingdom finger, CM. Be respectful. I can't. I I hate that name more than I hate the gesture. (laughs) (laughs) And like Stegman gets really upset about it. Why Why are you always fucking with me like a petulant child? And Hook's like, ah, you're joining the Keepers tonight. It's going to be great. Somebody did bite off their tongue once, but uh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You'll be safe. He's trying to psych him out. And I I just don't think Dr. Hook is a good psych man because he's always so calm about everything. I I thought this was a good uh, Hawkeye Pierce moment. Yeah. This is him fucking with Frank Burns. uh, Yeah. Thank you. I, I didn't have the pull. Well, unfortunately for Frankie... Hook and Stegman get interrupted when Stegman is called to the ER. We see that Frankie has a tumor, and sorry, I really like the mean ear-grabbing nurse. <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic. Who is she again? Do you guys remember? Uh, I didn't write down her name, but they said it. Or they said it a couple times. Anyway, she's cool. I love her. She's vaguely on Stegman's side, though, right? No, that's Brenda. That's his mommy or his mama oh gross yeah this is a different lady and she is so she's trying to get some like any literally any useful information out of the group about what happened to frankie and father obvious is like oh he just went crazy that's all what's she supposed to do with that here's what i loved about that is that they say what was he doing when he you know he started before he had his attack and everybody else is like he he saw God and was was speaking in tongues. And the uh, one religious person in that group goes, he just went crazy. <laughs> like everyone else is seeing like some sort of like religious event here. And he's like, now nah, dude just went bonkers. He's speaking in tongues like Eminem. Yep. Classic. There's uh, this other scene right after this where the nurse is in the x-ray room they, they x-ray or they do a cat scan or whatever and they find this huge obviously a huge tumor in this guy's head and this nurse is like says to the x-ray tech what is it and the x-ray tech says i can't uh interpret it that's for the doctors to do and then she grabs him by the ear and is like tell me what it is and he's like it's a tumor and she's like i know that <laughs> Why did I ask? It was, I, because I think this is a teaching hospital. And I think that these are like interns. And like that's her way of, I don't know, seeing how much they know, keeping them on their toes. Uh, that's very generous. I, I think it's because this show's number one uh, modus operandi is wasting our fucking time. I think that half of these scenes just didn't need to happen. Hey, the, the next scene isn't a waste of time because we find out that Abel and Krista are vampires. Damn it, you stole my joke. Yes! 
uh, in your face. Before we get into Frankie's head, we are in Jesse James's office, and his secretary doesn't know if she should call Abel and Christy, Kristen employees or people. And they're just there to ask James a favor, which is kept from the audience for now. But they do. They're like, you have, she's like, you have to invite them in. And so he goes out and he's like, come in. They're like, are you sure? Will you invite us? And he's like, yeah. So vampire rules. You're right, Josh. He also immediately says, it's so good to see you guys out during the day. Why are they vampires? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, Paul's a vampire, so... Are all vampires related? Maybe they're related. They might, yeah. <laughs> they're all vampires. If, if there's a fucking twist ending <laughs> that they are also ghost vampires, that they're part of the old case, I will lose my entire mind. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that James does seem genuinely happy to see them. He's very respectful and friendly with them and treats them just like they're people because they are people. So way to go. A not shitty moment for a character. Let's talk about the operating room scene because this is quite a scene. And I'm just inclined to let you guys go loose on this one because most of my swears just most of my swears, most of my notes just turned into rage statements and swearing about Stegman. <laughs> there are a number of things that are f- just infuriating about Stegman in this scene. First, was I the only one who, as soon as he's like, turn the Beethoven on, I was like, fucking, of course this guy listens to Beethoven when he operates. Yeah. And then the constant uh, Dr. Gupta, and he keeps calling him Gupta. No matter how many times Dr. Gupta corrects him, just keeps calling him Gupta and Stegman, like it's a buddy cop film. (laughs) And then the real shitty side of him, where Stegman basically says, oh, he's a homeless guy, so this will be pretty good practice, because if you mess anything up, not like he can sue you, so yeah, go for it. Go nuts, buddy. He is so dismissive of this guy just because he's homeless. It's horrible. Can someone explain to me what happens with the monitor? Oh, how the monitor, when when he starts talking, yeah. the monitor, because the, if I'm getting this right, they are supposed to be seeing the 3D scan of his head in real time. Oh, so that's why the scan is talking. I thought it was yes. more ghost shit. And I was like, well, this is strange. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I watched this twice and I, st- I still messed <laughs> that up. <laughs> that, that is like, what's funny though is that he, the fact that he wakes up with his head covered, but he just starts repeating exactly what they are saying. Yeah. And that oh shit moment that goes across all of them. And of course, Stegman goes nuts on the anesthesiologist because it must be his fault. The one thing Stegman did that I thought was kind of funny, uh, Frankie sits up and he's pulling his stuff off and Mary's there. He sees her and he's talking to her, but they don't know that. And she is standing next to this mean ear grabbing nurse that I like. And he says something about seeing an angel. And Dr. Stegman's like, oh, he thinks you're an angel. And yeah. the lady's like, yeah, he's not looking at me. I, I thought that was cute. I enjoyed it. It made me giggle a little bit. The The part that fucked me up, you guys, was when Frankie is dying and Stegman is like, yep, I'm out. Clearly, the part that I did was totally cool. And if he dies, it's not my fault. It's your guys' fault because I'm not even in the room. And he practically leaves a Stegman-shaped hole in the wall. Yeah, that 
Yeah, that's a great way to phrase that. He cannot get the hell out of there fast enough. Without it, he's also jerking himself off the whole time about like, well, well, the parts I did, great guys, you figure out his heart, I'm out. Another question for you guys that that kind of made me think of, do you think that he is, that's his MO, or is he acting this way now because of his confrontation with Mona's mother? That's a good question. Probably a little of both. I'm sure it's not his first time that a patient died on him, and he was like, wow, you guys all fucked up. But... <laughs> He probably bolted because of his current legal troubles. Before we leave this scene, I do have one more question for you guys about this. What purpose did any of this serve? Well, Ben, there's one important thing. One important piece of character progression that you've overlooked in this scene. (laughs) Carrie didn't fall down. Yeah. Not what I thought you were going to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Elmer, Elmer has a twin. Oh my god, that was that's the stupidest <laughs> fucking thing because it, it, no, nobody else sees this, right? I didn't. Not even close. No, oh, absolutely not. This is the point I'm trying to make. They introduce this reading group. They introduce uh, this schizophrenic man. He dies. He sees Mary and says something about the bell. And then he dies. None of that progresses anything. It is all 1,000% filler. We already know about Mary. We already know Stegman's a piece of shit. This is all things we have covered. The only new piece of information that we are given is that several people say, wow, this guy sure does look like Elmer. He's fucking does not at all. Isn't it only Dr. Gupta that thinks he looks like his twin? No, because someone else, doesn't someone else later on in the episode pulls Elmer down to the morgue and is like, check this fucking guy out. That's the same doctor. But you are right. Elmer also Uh, squints at the guy without his glasses on. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, well, (laughs) yeah, now you can't see him clearly. Yeah. (laughs) I I did like, though, that this was a little bit of a relief for me. When Stegman leaves, all of the other doctors and nurses in the room are like, fuck that guy. Yeah. And what is the one? What does mean nurse say? Uh, She says somebody should write him up. And he said, and Dr. Gupta says, go ahead and write it up. I'll put my signature on it. And then she asks if his immigration papers are in order. And he goes, good point. (laughs) And they just move on. Good point. Not a good point. I think the good point is that is recognizing that if anybody says anything against Stegman, he'll do whatever he can to make their life a living hell. Yeah, he'll come after them with whatever, even stuff that doesn't exist. Guys, Stegman is the key to this whole oh thing, God. man. Don't say things like Stegman's that. Stegman's the key to the whole thing. Oh, I can't wait. Let's move into a romantic scene. Where Christine Draper's digging in the garbage. Hot. Uh, well, right after that, where oh, sorry. Dr. Hook takes Dr. Draper on a date. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> to his secret uh, lair in the old... Kingdom Hospital. But we find out so much here. So we find out that there there was an old hospital and it did burn down, like the mill burnt down. So two things have burned down here on this and it ground. Was, and it was called the Gottreich 
hospital. Yep. And we also find out, like we, I think we speculated that Hook lives in the basement at the hospital. And we also get more information on his small trays filled with earth and crosses and names of people who have, who have died either by mistake or malpractice, which I refer to as Hook's porn. Gross. That was kind of what it felt like, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a super morbid hobby, keeping this uh, pseudo graveyard with all of the hospitals, with all the other doctors' mistakes. I don't know. it, It shows that, especially when Hook says that he is harder on himself than he is any other doctor with those crosses. Because Draper sees her name on one. Yeah, which that was a really interesting story, I thought. But shown in a really ridiculous way, she she accidentally overdosed a patient. She missed, did, did some math wrong and gave a patient too much medication they died. But when she talks about it, she goes, I was thinking about tennis. And it keeps cutting to flashbacks of her in the OR and her mouth, she has a mask on, so you don't know if her mouth is actually moving and she's saying these things out loud. But she goes, patient is seizing. I have to remember my backhand. <laughs> in the same tone of voice, I thought it was kind of goofy. I, I had the opposite reaction because I thought her admission, she's very upset and disturbed that he has one with her name on it because she feels so guilty over it. And for her to admit, like, well, it wasn't a mistake or malpractice because what really happened was my mind wasn't on what I was doing. I was thinking about something stupid and not life and death and not the patient. It seemed like she was, it showed that at that time in her career, she was giving, treating this patient the same amount of importance as playing her doubles game with somebody who who'd already beaten her like that was there was no difference to her sure and that's that's like great pathos for the character and it makes sense and is is a heavy subject but we don't have to see it we don't have to see her in the operating room going huh lobs like <laughs> it's unnecessary huh Lobs. Uh, I want to. There are two very important notes I made during this scene as Christine is being shown around his place. I had to go back and get the full note because my original note didn't make sense. So I had to retype it. At one point, as he's like trying to put the moves on her, he says, Join me for a glass of champagne. I want to show you something before Mrs. D gets here. My note just said, Mrs. D is what I call my penis. <laughs> Yeah, because okay. it's said in that tone of like before Mrs. D gets here. Uh, yeah, was I not the only one that was felt very unsafe for this <laughs> woman that he drove her to his secret underground lair because <laughs> of the implications? Ben, you t- okay? All right, I'm gonna stand up for Hook here for a second. Ben, you tell me what is wrong when a woman says your bed looks comfy and your response is like the fabled bicycle it's built for two first of all that's the kiddiest fucking line in the <laughs> second of all no 
I it's hinted that this his little apartment is so fucking far away from the main hospital. They have to drive a little cart there. Like the whole thing is Dennis Reynolds as hell. It sucks. <laughs> also, bicycles aren't built for two, man. The the bicycle built for two is there. You go. Is the bicycle built for two a fabled bicycle? There's a song about it. What's the song? Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. 2001 Space Odyssey? Come on. I fell asleep watching that movie. I've never actually seen the whole thing. Okay, fine. I was really hoping you were going to sing the whole thing until we got to the bike part. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. Okay, I don't know all the words. And then we'll sit upon the seat for a bicycle built for two. (laughs) Nailed it. Oh, you made Ben sing on the podcast. I'm a trained singer, everybody. (laughs) Encore! Encore! We did not mention that Dr. Hook takes Draper down there to meet up with Sally and Bobby because they're going to plot. But this is also something that's kept from the audience for the time being, at least for the rest of this episode. Do you guys think, so kind of going back to Mary and her bell and we do see her with a lot of different patients. In this universe, do all hospitals have a ghost that rings a bell and takes people? Or do you only get that treatment if you die at Kingdom Hospital? Oh, God, I can't wait to explain this to you. There, uh, Mary doesn't do it all the time. Mary's only doing it now for a very specific reason, I think. And you know this because... Okay, so uh, I haven't said this on the show yet. I have been reading The Diary of Eleanor Druce which is a companion novel that is mostly a prequel to Kingdom Hospital. It's called The Diary of Eleanor Druce, An Investigation of the Kingdom Hospital Incident. There's a foreword from Sally to Stephen King saying, I'm sending you my notebooks full of all of my research and and my writings because I know that you are, you're a fellow Mainer and I know that you believe in this stuff, so I'm sending it to you and hopefully it'll make sense to you and you can get the word out there about what I went through. And so, yeah, so it starts way before this and it's, I I have maybe 30, 30 or 40 pages left in the book. And there was uh, the first reference to uh, Peter Rickman being brought into the ER. That sounds interesting. Do you want to give us more of that now or should we finish up the last couple scenes? Uh, all right, let's finish up the last couple scenes and then I will, uh, I'm going to dive into all of my, my research from Eleanor Drews's diaries. Awesome. All right. Stegman is doing some detective work, which initially seems clever, except if you were the person who tagged his car, you would know what he was getting at immediately and you could play it cool because he's walking up to orderlies and he's like, physician heal thy, and he's seeing if they'll finish the sentence. Which is a dumb way to do it because that's a well-known phrase. It'd be like if you'd walk up to someone and be like, don't cry over spilled. Miak. And everyone would go like, <laughs> milk? And you'd be like, you fucker! You, you tagged my car! Not ah. a Kingdom Hospital, though. They would instead go, huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is what I'm going to do anytime someone tries to make me finish a commonly known phrase from now on. It happens a lot. And as I predicted before, Stegman passes right by Abel and Kristen and literally does not acknowledge them or notice them as people. And they yeah. giggle about it. Because they're wearing pink uniforms. Is that they're not, why? 
Yeah, they're not in orderlies. Orderlies whites. Man, I don't know hospital gear. That was that's the favor they asked for was for pink oh. uniforms because he they said they were wearing Fuck. white dressed as orderlies. <laughs> so Stegman. <laughs> he walks right the fuck past him and is just doesn't even acknowledge it. I completely missed that. Ben, did you get that? Am I the only no, one? No, not I did not make that connection at all. Yeah. <laughs> it is so stupid that it makes complete sense for this show. It's Stegman's like one track mind of oh god, that made me so happy. I laughed so long. Also, wait, we got another uh we got another great maintenance man. Oh, do we have to? Ben, I, I know you love keeping track of all the names. Now we have Jackie Gleason. Man with the thickest accent in the world. And his name's Jackie Gleason. And the whole scene made me cringe. <laughs> but, and I love that uh, also just another maintenance worker that's not Johnny B. Good. And that he, today he's not out because of his teeth. It's his wife's teeth today. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That did make me laugh. That's pretty good. All right. We cut briefly to Mona, who is painting on the wall. I think the wall or something. And then she has a seizure. But don't worry. We won't find out what happens to her this episode. I literally wrote my notes. Mona chanting and painting. It's not just on the wall. Her entire room is covered in symbols and like occult looking shit. And then she like seizes up and passes out. And I wrote, that was intriguing. I bet we won't see her again this episode. (laughs) If she's painted her entire room, how long has she been left alone? Definitely long enough. That's for sure. We end with a, a scene that I don't like despite Ant Bear being CGI, this bothered me and it, it made me feel bad. So Otto's dog and Ant Bear are chilling in the Old Kingdom when Ant Bear falls prey to Paul the Vampire's trap. He sh- like is looming over them and kicks a massive pipe down and like crushes Antipas under it. And he's screaming in pain. And he just says, now, why don't you just stay here and die? And leaves him, leaves Antibus to die in the basement of the Old Kingdom. I didn't like this scene either, but for a different reason. The scene starts, and we, we see, I think, a couple times, Antibus following behind Otto's dog, the, the talking dog. Which, you know, I don't know, have we mentioned in previous episodes that the dog is a German shepherd named Blondie, just like Hitler's dog. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Anyway, he's following behind this talking dog, and I really thought we were going to get a scene that was just Antibus talking with this dog. (laughs) And when Paul jumped out and attacked Antibus and we didn't get that scene, I was heartbroken. God, that would have been awesome. So episode five left Ben and I heartbroken for two very different reasons. (laughs) Josh, give us some of that cool info you're getting, some of that insight from this book. Okay. So uh, the things that I have picked up from these diaries, all of these incidents started a few weeks before the series picks up. Sally gets uh, a message from an old friend who's dying and asks, 
to to see her. She's on suicide watch because they they found her uh, with her head in the oven. So she and it's like an old friend of hers from forever ago. They've lost touch. She shows up and the guard who's supposed to be keeping an eye on her is asleep. She walks in and the woman has managed to slit her wrists and throat and ants are crawling through all of her wounds. Jesus. Now seeing this gives like Sally gets all lightheaded and she full on faints and cracks her head on the floor of the hospital and she dies. Die like she she feels herself leave her body and start rising through the hospital and her spirit is ascending the elevator shaft so that it, like that's like the uh, the the place to cross over in this hospital is at the top of the elevator shaft which is why mary rides the elevator all the time uh she sure. hears she hears the bell and sees antibus at the very very top of the elevator and she says she describes him and says that he's standing between the hospital and perpetual night. And then she hears the, uh, the doctors working on her and like giving her uh, the, the paddles and shocking her. And she starts coming back to her body and she uh, is eventually resuscitated. She finds out that there was a, a partial suicide note because her kids, uh, Madeline, who's her childhood friend, uh, Madeline's kids found the suicide note, but didn't want anybody to know about it. But uh, Bobby was friends with one of the siblings. And part of the note said, God has blessed Sally Druce with a memory more merciful than mine. I will not disturb her peace with cruel remembrance. When we were children, we touched evil, but our childhoods go back thousands of years further than the memory of man. Sally forgot her scars. My wounds still fester. I asked God for forgiveness and forgetfulness, but my prayers go unanswered. I leave this life confident that I have seen the worst evil here among the living. I can only improve my lot by rushing into the secret house of death. That sounds really cool. <laughs> Fucking awesome. I want to read this yeah, so bad. That sounds um, a thousand times more interesting than anything that has happened on this show. Oh, here's where it gets better. After her failed suicide attempt, she wrote a letter to Sally and the letter said, dear Sally, the little girl who saved us is lost. She is back among the lair of the living. The fire did not kill her. She needs our help. Come see me. Yeah. Then uh, Sally wakes up at Boston general where she is being treated by one Dr. Stegman. Ooh, don't do it. Don't do it, Sally. <laughs> Well, and here's the thing that's interesting is that she's being treated by Stegman, but the book also uh, goes out of its way to say every time he comes into the room, like he's leading rounds of a bunch of doctors and he never learns her name. He rattles off the things about her and then somebody has to like hold up the paper at her name so he can be like, Druce, and then moves on. They do an MRI on her because she cracked her head and uh, the MRI shows that she has signs of seizures so that's where her uh they're they're saying her psychic powers that she thinks are psychic is actually just her having miniature seizures uh she returns after recovering from kingdom hospital but not before one of her nurses flat out tells her if you have to have surgery do not let stegman do it 
we we can't say anything here but he uh not only has he like butchered a few people a few patients here he's he's trying to like book as many surgeries a day as he can lead rounds write papers he wants to be famous and he doesn't care how sloppy his work gets is he based off of is dr stegman based off of dr death when was this written it was written at the, around the time of the show, so I'd probably say like 2008, 2009. Okay. Listen to the Dr. Death podcast. It's great. So when she finally gets better, she returns to Kingdom Hospital, which, by the way, she worked at Kingdom Hospital. She was a, a volunteer that helped people in the, the Sunshine Ward, the, the hospice floor. Uh, she goes that explains to, why she knows Lenny a little better. Yeah. Well, her and Lenny go way back. Right. She goes to speak to the nurse who was with her the night they found the body infested with ants. And it turns out that nurse had a psychotic break. She goes to the floor to see her, to talk to her about it. When she sees the the sepia-toned doctor that we see in the show... Oh, shit. ...walk into her room and then later sees that same spirit at the elevator carrying uh, a bag that has like a exterminator logo on it. They finally get into that patient's room and she has died from ingesting rat poison, rat poison that there was no way she could get on her own. Now here is where we get to what has been affecting us at kingdom hospital, where we are now. Sally finds out that Friday the 13th on a full moon, Dr. Egis, who uh, was, on st- he was on staff uh, doing a procedure in the cath lab on a little girl while he was high on coke. While he was in the procedure, one that our first earthquake happened, and the little girl died in the cath lab. And this was the say at the exact same time the Madeline was dying in her bed and Sally was dying on the floor. We find out that Doctor Egis is no longer uh, a doctor at the hospital, not because he was fired, but because he got radiation poisoning. It turns out after that earthquake, it cracked a cathode ray, and it happened to be cracked in a place where the radiation only leaked from one spot, and it was aimed directly at the back of his neck between his lead vest and his cap. Sure. This Uh, is so much. It's, oh my god, I, I know, I'm like, I'm dropping so much knowledge on you guys right now but it's all it's all going to come together something else i don't know if it's going to show up in the show traff had an older brother he had an older brother named edgar who jumped off the roof in 1999 leaving a suicide note that said i hereby acquiesce to my father's opinion of me Ooh, dang which kind of informs that relationship with elmer and lou also a little bit more yeah okay now we find out that uh, we talked about in this episode that the old kingdom was called the Gottreich, the Gottreich Hospital. This is because the Gottreichs were the family that owned the textile mill back in, when the first fire happened. The fire happened. They built the Gottreich Hospital. That place burned down and now became the kingdom. Dr. Gottreich was a doctor at this hospital where Sally was treated as a child for whooping cough. Dr. Gottreich was experimenting on children in a place he called the pain room, where he was trying to find a cure for pain. 
So he partially lobotomizes Sally. He like straps her down and takes an ice pick and like oh. gets a jab in. Oh, and, gets a jab in. Don't yeah. describe it like that, man. Well, well, and that's what I'm wondering if the the uh the unidentified bright object is her might be her scar from the oh, lobotomy. Maybe. So when this happens, Mary and Antibus show up and Mary screams and there's an earthquake and it like shatters some stuff in the room and that's when the like something exploded in his lab and that's where the fire started and Mary led Sally to safety by the sound of her bell uh also fun fact Sally killed that doctor by swinging an axe into the side of his fucking head and then Antibus uh started eating the brains oh my god you guys I want to read this so bad (laughs) so Here's where it all comes together. We find out that uh, in in this research, because Sally has forgotten all of this, but Madeline kept all of like these notes because she remembered all of it because she was one of Dr. Gottreich's patients also. So she finds out that in that hospital fire, two people died. The first was Dr. Gottreich. The second was a 15-year-old child named Paul Morlock. Paul Morlock, who was being treated for violent antisocial behavior and was currently in a sensory deprivation tank at the time of the fire. Now, last important thing, the fires were 70 years apart. So the very first fire we see at the textile mill was 1869. Exactly 70 years later, a doctor who is maliciously hurting his patience is undone by the spirit of Mary 70 years later. 70 years after that fire is 2009, where we are in the timeline of the show, and there is a doctor who is hurting children. Mm, yeah. Okay. This is extremely frustrating. <laughs> not, not, not exactly the response I expected from you, Ben. All of that is A rad as hell and b vital information that's the story that all of that that you just laid out that is the story we are five episodes in we have none of that information and i guarantee we won't get any of that information over the course of this show what it, why <laughs> I, i'm 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 fucking furious. I'm so <laughs> mad. It's, and that's why, like, I was hesitant on how much I wanted to share with you guys because, I mean, some of that information, I feel like it, it has to show up in the show, right? Like, we have to find out that Gottreich and Paul are from that fire and that that's their connection and he's an evil doctor. Like, the fact that this cycle of doctors hurting their patients and then being punished is is here and it 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 only it only makes sense if you know that yeah you are assuming this is a competently made show (laughs) i do not believe it fucking is i this is the same thing that happened with rose red where there was a companion novel that you have to read for any of it to fucking make sense but this is the first time I'm hearing of this book. Like, it was not, it's not even a King novel. So who would have read it? 
Right, yeah. It says it's written by Eleanor Drews. I don't know, guys. I'm going to go on record as saying I'm all in. I think they're going to wrap all this up in the last couple episodes. <laughs> I, best of luck. <laughs> I will take that bet. I, I will put money on this. I will. I, I'm very interested. Like I said, I, I feel like this might be spoilery for stuff that's going to come up, but I'm really interested in now that the three of us are aware of all this information, I'm curious what things we might notice now going forward. We have seven episodes. We're not quite halfway through. Maybe I'll have to eat my words. Maybe I'm completely wrong and I will have to apologize to the makers of Kingdom Hospice. I'm going to bet the way I always do and I'll we'll determine the amount after I figure out whether I've won or lost. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we cover episode six, The Young and the Headless. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, there's a price to be paid for evil and incompetence. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to part five of Kingdom Hospital. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find us on social media at Dairy Public Radio and email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And if you're looking for extra stuff to do during the closure, send us a story. We like to publish things from our fans on our website, constantreaders.org. Once again, I do apologize for the audio quality, but if you want to hear something with amazing audio quality, and all kinds of sound effects and music, go to our Patreon page and check out our Patreon-exclusive podcast, The Club. This month, we released an episode of the roleplay game Kids on Bikes, and you can listen to a preview of that episode without being a member to see what you think of it. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.